You are listening to the Next Best Picture Podcast, and this is our review of Baby Driver. So you're just starting your day, or did you just get off? They call, I go, you know. So what is it you do? I'm a driver. Oh, like a chauffeur. Anyone I'd know? I hope not. What is your name? Baby. Your name's Baby. B-A-B-Y, Baby. It's the one who say listen to the music all the time? Is he uh, mental? Mental meaning slow. Was he slow? No. He had an accident when he was a kid. Still has a hum in the drum. Plays music to drown it out. And that's what makes him the best. All right, everybody. You were just listening to the trailer for Baby Driver. And the story is as follows. Talented getaway driver Baby relies on the beat of his own personal soundtrack to be the best in the game. After meeting the woman of his dreams, he sees a chance to ditch his shady lifestyle and make a clean break. Coerced into working for a crime boss, Baby must face the music as a doomed heist threatens his life, love, and freedom. It is starring Ansel Elgort, Kevin Spacey, Lily James, Isa Gonzalez, John Hamm, Jamie Foxx, and John Berthnow. It is written and directed by our favorite Brit, Edgar Wright. And joining me for this review, I have Josh Williams. What's going on, everybody? Josh, how are you, my man? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing really well. You know why? Why? Because I saw Baby Driver. (laughs) (laughs) I've been anticipating this for a while now, as as I know a lot of people that are fans of Edgar Wright have been. He doesn't make movies that often. No, he's got a few and far between. Yeah, you know, it's a, every, what, three years or so? Yeah, his next one is set for 2019, so... Yeah, okay. Well, tw- two two years, really. Two years, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess we have Ant- Ant-Man to thank for uh, the gap that occurred, I believe, between... You know, I actually know there was no real gap. I mean, Scott Pilgrim was 2010. Mm-hmm. Uh, the World's End was 2013, I want to say. Yeah. And then I believe uh, Ant-Man was somewhere in there, and here we are with Baby Driver. And Baby Driver is kind of a, you know, a little bit of a departure in, you know, many different ways. Doesn't take place uh, in England, you know, is the first and and foremost thing about it, I suppose. Um, It also is a very, let, let let me put it to you this way. This is a very unique movie. And the reason why it's very unique is because I feel very much that Edgar Wright wanted to make a musical, but he didn't want to make a musical that had your typical, you know, song and dance and, you know, people actually singing the songs on camera. He decided instead to cut a freaking action heist movie to music. (laughs) You know how I, 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 like... 
it that's just mind-boggling because when you see this movie and you see how it's edited and cut and the sound is just layered so intricately to fit the songs that he has specifically chosen for this movie and boy oh boy we'll talk a, a little bit more about that it just it melts my mind <laughs> it's funny that you say it's unique because i agree with you i think it's completely unique but at the same time it's not it's oh no it's yeah a completely unique story and unique world but at the same time he mixes all these different films into one movie so it's so funny that like it happens to be so original in its own universe but at the same time there's all these different films that are mixed in as inspiration and i found that hilarious i see now i'm, I'm actually looking at this from another angle for a moment there um i am of the viewpoint that Baby Driver is a film that is very unique in terms of its style, uh, but the substance of the film, the story, you know, this uh, this kid who's a good guy at heart, who got involved with the wrong people, and now he's got to do one last job, you know, before he <laughs> breaks away and he has his freedom and he gets the girl. Like, that's a story we've seen before. There's nothing unique or original about that. It's all in the way that the story itself is told. That's what makes it original. Yeah. it's. I think one thing, so just before we, because obviously you and I both really enjoyed it, so we're going to jump into some high praise as we go on. Um, the first thing that I want to touch on that I had a problem with mm. is I don't like Ansel Elgort or whatever. I can never remember how to yeah. his name. Yeah, An- An- Ansel Elgort, uh, I believe it is. I, we could just call him Baby right yeah by the way every time somebody says his name i just freaking hear that justin bieber song in my head every single time <laughs> and it kills me baby baby oh and i'm like fuck stop it oh That's hilarious. oh god i just I've come to the conclusion that um because at first when i saw that he was in the movie i was upset because i was like oh he's not like an action star that's not who he is. When I think action star, I don't think of him, right? But then as I was watching the movie and I saw what they were trying to do with the character, I was like, oh, okay, that's not the purpose. Like, he's not meant to be this huge, badass action star, right? He's not meant to be Bruce Willis or, you know, Charlie Theron or these awesome action stars. He's meant to be what he is in the movie. But I think now that I've sat on the movie a little longer, what bothers me about him is he couldn't hold uh, his own weight in the movie in terms of his performance. So when you're on screen to legends with Emmy, Emmy winner, you know, John Hamm and Oscar winning Kevin Spacey and Jamie Foxx, it's kind of hard to keep the same pace. And so I feel like he didn't like hold his own weight against the competition. Like, I feel like his performance was so much lackluster compared to Jamie Foxx, John Hamm and Kevin Spacey. So I don't know what compelled Edgar Wright to cast Ansel Elgort other than to say this. You know who Ansel Elgort in this movie reminds me of a lot? Who? Season one, Game of Thrones, Kit Harington as Jon Snow. Okay. Nobody really liked that character. They thought he was like... You know, because very limited range as an actor, it seemed like, kind of like those if the the, the actor, uh, you know, Kit Harrington was trying to like find the role um, as it went along. And as the story has gone along, uh, Kit Harrington has uh, really worked his way over with that role into people's uh, hearts and minds. As an actor, though, if you've seen him in other feature, you know, films outside of television, 
the guy's still pretty limited and he's pretty awful. He just found this one role and he's been with it for so long and he's just continuously gotten better and better and better at it. But man, when he first started, he was awkward. Um, it just came off like he was, um, I don't want to say douchey. That's not the word I'm looking for, but like just like laid back and very chill like almost, you know, yeah, did, did it. That didn't seem to be like a lot of uh, emotion inflection in his voice, you know. Not not enough enunciation. Let's let's put it that way. And so when I watch Ansel Elgort in this movie, he reminded me of uh, Kit Harrington in uh, that season, the first season of Game of Thrones, because he's kind of mopey. Uh, he's kind of like doesn't really do much. He's kind of just sitting there, all brooding like. But there is a mysteriousness to him and even uh lily james who uh plays his um his girlfriend deborah even says that to him at one point like that he's mysterious you know and there's there is something about him and it's uh partially because he wears the glasses so his eyes are covered a lot of the time um you don't know what's really going on inside his head you just know he's listening to this music and I think what Edgar Wright was just simply going for was he was just going for the silent badass type that has the heart of gold. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree with you. It just There was something about him that ro- really rubbed me the wrong way. Like, while I was watching it, I was just like, ah, you're, not, you're not hitting me where I want you to hit me. <laughs> well, you know what he also reminds me of, too? He reminds me of somebody that if he wasn't in this badass action film, he'd be, like, in musical theater dancing. Yeah doing like you know modern dance even as a scene or two where he's dancing along the streets and you know there were people in my theater that were like damn you know like check out that ass in those jeans you know and i was like i was like all right ladies you gotta calm down over here you know i'm like kid's got limited acting range he's kind of a doofus all right (laughs) the scene was afterwards i was like did you like the movie and she was like, oh, it was great, but Ansel Elsport is gorgeous. And I was like, he's horrible. Doesn't matter, he looks good. I'm like, all right, whatever. Like, And I was like, what about John Hamm? And she's like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, oh, John Hamm is stunning. <laughs> more, more comparisons here. He's like Channing Tatum in Step Up. You know, when, when the world was first introduced to him. There is a charisma there, and there is a talent that is lurking beneath the surface that just needs a little bit more nurturing and a couple of more movies with good screenplays like this, not the other movies he's been doing, like the Carrie remake or the Divergent series, fucking The Fault in Our Fucking Stars, okay? He needs to find his, he needs to find his way. The guy's still young. So I gave him a bit of a pass, but also a large uh, part of that is because Edgar Wright really does a great job at hiding this guy's flaws. A really phenomenal job. In fact, I think he does that with almost everybody in the cast. I think he writes these roles and directs these actors to highlight their strengths and hide their weaknesses. Yeah, I'll agree with you. It's it's very much Edgar Wright in the driver's seat. Like when I was watching it, I wasn't – because in the moment, I wasn't bothered by Ansel Elgort. I was just loving the tour de force of Edgar Wright. You know, so I was just like, man, this is fantastic. Like the way, even the way that some of the action goes to the beat of the music. Oh, yeah. Or just like the simple, just the simple um, things when he's walking down the street and they would play a song and like the tap, like the tapping of the people around him or whatever would be in sync with the music. And I was just like, this is fantastic. Like he's done such a good job. Yeah, it's really incredible. And I mean, 
to now talk about Edgar Wright for a little bit here and uh, uh, contributions he brings to this uh, from a directorial standpoint. Did you spot a single moment of CGI in this movie at all? I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's all practical because I know that Ansel Elgort had to learn how to stunt drive. Wow. That's impressive. There's a behind the scenes bit I saw, I think on like Facebook or something, and it's him like showing up in LA and he's like, yeah, I'm going to learn how to stunt drive today. And so somebody teaches him how to do like the driving moves. Yeah, because it looks to me like this was all done in camera, um, all practical. And I, I, you know, the scenes, the action scenes are not, they're not something that that's going to like blow your mind the way that, um, you know, the Fast and the Furious might have done earlier this year for some people. Uh, some of those action scenes were just like off the charts insane because of their just bombastic uh, and ridiculous nature. This film, people might look at the action scenes and they might be like, oh, well, that's like, yeah, eh, that's kind of tame. And, eh, you know, and I don't know if uh, audience members are smart enough to understand the difference because of how this was filmed, that this is just as good, if not better. Yeah, I don't think the action is meant to be, you know, Mad Max level. Like, I'm not meant to be blown away by the action. I think it's just meant to be simple. It's a simple chase movie. So all we're supposed to get are these fast cuts, the fast cars, and then maybe some shooting here and there. Yeah. You know, when they... It was so... I was so used to the chasing that to the point when there is a bigger shootout in the film, I was like, whoa. I was taken back. I was like, oh, man, a shootout. <laughs> well, yeah, there is a shootout scene in this movie that is so, so expertly edited uh, with the sound to the visuals um, and the music that when it was over, it got an audible Jesus Christ out of me um, <laughs> that I think everybody sitting within at least 10 seats of me could hear. I think something Edgar Wright did that I've never seen in a chase movie is a chase sequence on foot but mm, done mm-hmm. as if it were in a car yeah oh yes because most you know most foot chase scenes like in the the born series or you know whatever is very they're all kind of shot in the same tame way there's that shaky camera shot there's the really wide shots of the people running but edgar wright approached the foot chase scene so differently there's it's all quick cuts and there's inserts and there's close-ups and there's the one takes of him you know going in a circle or going through one building and into another and i was just like jesus christ this is done so well like i was just blown away by the fact that he pulled it off over anything else the the opening of the film the opening credits is all one take yeah you know um as the title cards are uh, coming up and uh, Ansel Elgort is walking his way through the street and the music is playing and everybody's like you're saying tapping their feet uh, as they're walking down the street not like tap t- like tap dancing in the streets I'm talking like actually just walking and it's all synchronized and it's all on beat and I'm like this is a one minute take that is lasting like five minutes this is insane and I even whispered over to my friend at one point I'm like how many times do you think they had to do this like 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 seriously yeah, it's just there is something to be said for um, knowing what kind of music you want to use and then just inserting music in later, you know, and finding music that just fits as a result. Because Edgar Wright knew which music he wanted. The music was in his head and he decided to shoot and edit the movie to that music, like on beat. And that to me. You know, if you're a director and you're blocking, 
That is so freaking difficult. Yeah. That is crazy hard. He's the guy to do it, though, too. You know, this is something, like, next level, honestly. When I watched it, I was just like, Jesus, man. Yeah. You're the guy to do it. Like, I don't know who else. I don't know anybody else who could have pulled it off so seamlessly. Yeah. He is definitely, um, with his contributions that he's done in so many of his other movies, too. I mean, this is the guy that's given a Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, World's End, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, and now Baby Driver. This guy is just a treasure. I mean, all of his movies, he's five for five now at this yeah, point. He doesn't have a miss. Not at all. Not at all. And like I was saying, some people will say that this film is all style over substance, but man, oh man, what style? I don't even think it's I don't even think it's too much style over substance. You know, there's a certain <laughs> there's a certain <laughs> there's a certain you know, like I would say Michael Bay is style over substance. Usually, like usually a Michael Bay movie, I do not care for the substance. Well, that's very interesting because I spoke to someone earlier today uh, who said to me um, they talked about Birdman and they said, well, why did Birdman have to be shot in one fucking take? It makes no sense. It doesn't serve the story. Uh, if you try to give me the whole it's theater, you know, and it's supposed to be an experience that you're watching, uh, you know, as it's happening, just like when you watch the theater bullshit, and he's like, I don't buy it. You know, I feel like there are people out there that will look at this and they will go, well, why does the movie have to be edited to the music? Yeah. Why did he, ha-? you know, it's like, it just seems like it, it just, there are some people that are like pompous, uh, stuck up. They don't just they don't fucking enjoy anything. And they're going to just simply say that Edgar Wright did not need to do that to tell a story and that it was just a gimmick for him to show off. It's funny. I think it's an age thing. Because <laughs> obviously this movie is a very young movie. Is it? Because the soundtrack would suggest otherwise. No, I agree. It's funny because a lot of the people that I, that were A, in the theater and B, the person I saw it with, didn't know the songs that were on. And I was like, oh, when I, you know, when it came on, I was like, damn, I'm getting down. This is just, this is some good tracks. But then I would look around and nobody knew the music. And that's probably the best part about it though. Yeah. But then there, but what's interesting is the movie is marketed so towards younger people and it's a very young movie and so the people that i've talked to that are a bit older have no interest in a seeing the movie or did not like the movie that's 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 terrible and it's interesting i'm like huh i wonder what the divide is like because obviously everybody who is between that age range of like 19 and 25 adore the movie but everybody i've talked to that's like 35 above hates it I don't understand that. I don't get it either. I'm like, what? I'm like, how did you? How do you hate it? It's style. Like, look at the style. It's so gorgeous to look at. And I saw a really good tweet about how um, once the movie, it's one of those movies that when it's over, you're like, ah, I'm back in the real world. Like, it's such an immersive experience. Oh, as soon as it was over, I immediately put my headphones in and I hit play, and I was like, I'm I'm playing the soundtrack to my life now. At this point, I want to live my life like Baby Driver. <laughs> like, well, like, I was gonna say like Baby Driver. His name's just Baby. It's not his last name is not Driver. <laughs> I peeled that. I peeled out of the parking lot after I saw it. I was just like, woo! Like I was. <laughs> <that's how> <laughs> uh, let's talk about the supporting cast for a minute here. Oh, flames, flames. Kevin Flames Spacey is back. Yeah. I guess he never yeah. left, but <laughs> Well, I mean, we did get nine lives. Oh, okay. You're right. Yeah. So I mean, it's not like he went anywhere. Yeah. He just it's so what I loved about Spacey was I feel like the past couple movies, I've seen Kevin Spacey and I'm a big, big Kevin Spacey fan. Oh yeah, so, who isn't? Well yeah. So when I, I feel like the past few movies I've seen Kevin Spacey in, all he's trying to be is Frank Underwood. 
or that's all the roles he's being given is Frank Underwood. So I was so upset. I'm like, I'm tired of seeing Frank Underwood, Kevin Spacey. So when this movie, when he was in this movie, I was just like, yes, finally, like I'm back to badass Kevin Spacey. It's just good to hear his uh, normal accent and not the Frank Underwood accent for a yeah. change. Um, I, I love dark, charismatic Kevin Spacey. Me too. I love it. It's he's so, fantastic. He's so soft-spoken in this too. Like he's so like evil and methodical, but he's so soft about it. Yeah, it, it almost reminds me of um, like like almost like an Albert Brooks in Drive, okay. sort of thing. Or maybe I'm just saying that because both movies involve driving and they're both crime bosses. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but Kevin Spacey, I I. I we're not going to go into spoilers here, but I, I didn't like how his character ended up by the end. Really? Yeah, I, I, that didn't that did not work for me. The the I know what scene you're talking about. The way it happens kind mm-hmm. of rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, but I didn't like once I didn't mind. Yeah. yeah. Like at first it bothered right. me, but as it kept going, I was like, eh, okay, whatever. Uh, Jamie Fox, so good. Yes, but I did not feel like he was the right casting. No, really? Oh, man, he's great as the crazy, like, gun-toting badass. You think so? I think so. It's what I, because I think he, because he's so, again, he's so soft-spoken and nice in Ray. Mm-hmm. So when when I got to see him be, like, evil, I was excited. Can I ask you this question? Yeah. And we don't have to, we don't have to go into detail on this. I just want to ask the question, because I don't know if anybody is thinking about it other than me. Only black guy in the movie. He's got to be the quote unquote thug. Yeah, I get well. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> and and, and, then I, and I think that's why it didn't work for me. I was gonna say John uh, John Bernthal's kind of a thug, but I guess he Jamie Fox is like the thug. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I don't know something about that. Something like like I said something about that from a casting standpoint. Just um. It didn't yeah. work for me, and also because I think Jamie Foxx is, like, a little too, like, smooth, soft-spoken. Okay. You know, like, when he says to when he says to him, he's like, the moment you catch feelings is the moment you catch a bullet. Yeah. It's just, like, it's so, like, smooth, and, you know, I, I, don't, I don't feel like that's threatening. I almost feel like he's getting ready to, like, burst out a song and boogie. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's awesome. That's great. I don't, he, now that I think about it, yeah, like I can see what you're saying, but he didn't, he, he didn't rub me the wrong way in the moment. Like in the moment okay. I was, I was accepting. I was like, okay. I mean, listen, he does a great job. I'm not saying he gives a bad performance or anything no. like that. No, nobody in this movie gives a bad performance. Although I have heard some people say that Lily James's uh, performance uh, teeters along the edge of camp in this a lot. She has the cheesiest lines. Absolutely. I, like I saw people rolling their eyes. Um, at some of the lines that she threw at him. But I think that's all part of the like um, callback to, yeah, you know, you know, earlier you were talking about inspirations that are found within this movie. I think that's like part of it in this like way of like 70s, 80s, a uh, girl really doting over the guy like, oh, you're so cool. Like, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, I get it. That's, that's so, it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, do I like it? Eh, it's okay. I like it because I understood the inspiration. I get okay. All right, that that I can I like understand. Uh, and now to uh, top it all off here, uh, Isaac Gonzalez and John Hamm. Oh, d- so sexy, the both of them. 
John Hamm is uh, John Hamm is probably other than Kevin Spacey my favorite casting uh, decision in this movie. I think, I think Asa Gonzalez does a really good job too. She's underrated. You know what? I'd have to watch it on a rewatch only because um, she didn't stand out to me as anyone other than his side piece. You know his 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 arm candy. Like when she tells him this, I don't know if this is a spoiler, but when she's talking to John Hamm in the back seat, and she's like, uh, "Remember when you killed that guy for me?" And he's like, "Oh, which time?" <laughs> and then yeah, yeah. Him. And then she's like, "Oh, well, um, bats looked at me the wrong way." And there's that moment. I was like, "Yeah, she's good." <laughs> so there's a couple moments she has that are pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I, I like I said, I, I think I need to rewatch it again to maybe appreciate it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, I just couldn't, I just couldn't get over the fact that I'm like, ah, uh, she doesn't really seem like she has a character to me. She just feels like she's there as arm candy. Yeah, but I do agree. John Hamm is the next best. Like it's it's spacey John Hamm. Oh yeah, John Hamm is uh, just he's got such a presence. Um, I haven't seen him this good in a movie since another supporting role he gave all the way back in like 2010 for the town yeah yeah right it's been a while since he's it's done been a it's been a very long time um he's scared he's scary too yeah like there's there's a couple scenes um more towards the third act where he's like a, he's scary uh, he's scary than jamie fox yeah <laughs> although one thing i have to say is that you know, this movie does have a lot of style to it, as we've, you know, obviously said over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. In real life, okay, try to picture this, real life, you're walking down the street and you see a pack of guys and amongst them is Jamie Foxx and John Hamm dressed as they are dressed in this movie. I would be very, 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 like, intimidated to the point where I need to keep my distance from those two guys because those two guys look like they really would kill me. Yeah, they're... Terrifying. <laughs> but yet, in the context of this movie, you put them into this universe and in this package that Edgar Wright has presented, they don't come off as that menacing. Um, they come off as um, as very human characters. When, when the menacing parts need to be turned on, Edgar Wright flips the switch and these guys are really, really intimidating. And part of that uh, definitely starts to creep in. But there were times where I uh, got the feeling like these guys look like, like almost like cartoon characters. Uh, maybe it's maybe it's the fact that Jamie Foxx wears like a lot of red, um, and I just don't see people that would ever wear like something like that in public in real life. But then it's like, but in real life, if I did see somebody wearing a jacket like that and looked like that, and then like you know gave me like a look like Jamie Foxx would, where it's like, yo man. I'm gonna fucking kill you. I, I I'd be like, oh shit! You're like he's wearing that red jacket. He means he means some serious business. <laughs> like I don't know who he who he killed for that jacket. And John Hamm just looks like a, you know, like a jaded forty plus. I don't give uh, I don't give two fucks about anything. Like I've lost everything in my life. I've got see I've got a little stubble here, kid. That means I've been drinking for three days non nonstop, and I'm gonna fucking put a bullet in your head. Yeah, he's more he's more a reclined badass. Like Jamie Foxx is open about how badass he is and how he's gonna murder you. John Hamm is just kind of like there's an unspoken badassery about him. I almost felt like John Hamm was going to be um, the badass that is the buddy. Yeah. Well, he, at the beginning, he's really nice. Yeah. He's really nice to Baby, and he's welcoming of him, and he's, you know, he's soft-spoken, but then as it goes on, he's just, he's a bad motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we start to see uh, 
just how bad this guy really, really is. All right, enough with the word bad. Okay, this is a this is a good <laughs> podcast. This is a good a good a, a good episode. It's good a good film, movie. Good yeah, exactly. Good times all around. Um, let's pass it off to final thoughts. Great out of ten. Any Oscar potential? What do you have? Great. I mean, great out of ten. Ten. It's ten. Out of Whoa. 10. Yeah, it's fantastic. Whoa. Yeah. Really? Shooting high. I I don't have a problem with it. There's there's besides besides Ansel Elgort not being able to keep up with the cast. Oh, that's a come on. That's a nine right there. Then. No. It's that's a pretty big. Because that only because I only felt that way after the fact. So during the movie, it doesn't bother me because I'm just so immersed into what Edgar Wright has made and done and created for me that I'm just so satisfied and happy. So you're in cinematic bliss the entire time? I, the whole time. The second the movie was over, I was upset. I was like, ah, oh, no, why is it over? <laughs> I, I, will say this, I will say this about the way the movie ends. Um, I love the ending. Me too. I really love the ending. And I was very, very, very... Like, that ending, for me, um, saved the movie... Because, you know, as I said uh, earlier, I feel like the movie is kind of treading on a fine line between uh, having this very unique um, visual approach, this unique uh, oral approach, but yet the story is just so been there, done that. But the ending to me felt like something that was, oh, are they going to take this like in a very unexpected direction? Oh, they did. And yet they were still able to wrap it up with a bow on the end and made me feel happy leaving the theater with a smile on my face. So kudos to you, Edgar Wright. Um, Oscar potential? I would like to see a push for sound design and sound mixing. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I don't know if it's going to get anything at all. Mm. Sadly. I think Bill Pope deserves a cinematography nod, too, because if I remember correctly, I think it's shot on film. Yes, it, it, it certainly looks like it is, that's for sure. So that should be... And so pulling off some of those camera moves like in film is impressive. Mm-hmm. So I think he, deser- he deserves it. Um, they, I could see them maybe getting a push for a SAG, maybe, ensemble. No. Just because of the amount of people that are in it, maybe. No very bottom of the barrel i i mean it's not that anybody is necessarily like weak in it other than ansel elgort and he's the freaking lead and that's Mm -hmm. what you know for me that's what immediately kills the chances fair enough so but i mean other than that i don't it's not getting picture director actor actress supporting there's a screenplay like i don't it's not it's not what hollywood wants right now i don't think I'll tell you this much. Any uh, critics group that has an award for best soundtrack or music compilation of the year, this is winning. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So there you go. I hope it it gets sound design and sound mixing. Yeah. I'd even hope for editing. If it got editing, I'd, I'd be high horse. I I'm 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 exactly like you are in the Oscar potential there. Uh, sound editing, sound mixing are probably its best bets. Um, to me, this seems like the kind of film that is the there always seems to be one every year. The lone sound editing uh, nominee. <laughs> it's the one nomination that your film gets, and for you know you you look back in time, there have been a lot of films that have gotten this uh, nomination that are really you know freaking incredible. Uh, Drive. Fight Club. Uh, last year it was uh, Sully. You know, so there always seems to be at least one film that tends to get that one lone sound editing nomination, and I could totally see Baby Driver 
possibly uh, doing that. So, I mean, on a, on a really good day, it gets both sound editing and sound mixing. And on the greatest day it could possibly have, it also gets film editing along with it, which I think is totally deserved. I agree. I have yet to see a movie this year edited as well as that. I completely 100% agree with you. 100%. Because there's nothing... I mean, there's been films this year, like... Uh, like, I think It Comes at Night is very well edited. Mm-hmm. But there's not... But it's not edited to serve the purpose of the story. This is edited to serve the purpose of the story, I think. So there's so much... There's so much... It's so quickly paced, and it's so fast... Because that's the world, and so I think the editing is meant to make you feel that way too. Yeah, yeah. So that's why it's like, oh, you did it for the story, and it's well done. Nomination, like. <laughs> uh, eight out of ten. You're going eight out of ten, really? Yeah, that's where I. That's where I'm at. Um, I'll I'll, I'll also add a little bit of context to this. Um, John Wick Chapter Two got an eight out of ten from me earlier this year, and as many people know, I what? do my yeah. I do my uh, I do my grading uh, based upon the genre. This being uh, an action film, I am comparing it to ten out of ten action films. Uh, you know, something uh, like yeah. I forgot some, how we do that. <laughs> yeah, well, something like Mad Max Fury Road is a ten out of ten. Something like uh, the the first Matrix, ten out of ten. Die Hard, ten out of ten. You know, okay. so when I view it through that lens, um, Baby Driver has very 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 tiny very minor things that for me uh you know end up i I was debating between a nine and an eight let me put it to you that way when i got out of the screening i was like i don't know but upon just reflecting about it asking myself some more questions and then also too the number one question i asked myself was if somebody put a gun to your head right now and they said what is the better action film of 2017 john wick chapter two or baby driver what am i answering with and my problem was not that i chose one over the other i couldn't think of one to say off the top of my head i had to think about it okay and because of that I was like, you know what? They're an equal level playing field, and my grade went to an eight instead of a nine. So, fair enough. That's a good way to. That's a good way to view it. Mm-hmm. I guess you're right. Yeah, like Die Hard. I agree. Like Die Hard and Mad Max are like ten out of ten action films. So I guess this isn't. This isn't like on that caliber of action film. Right, but it's still a really solid, fun, awesome time at the movies. Yeah. It's cinematic bliss. Cinematic bliss. Pure heaven. <laughs> bliss with a B. <laughs> all right josh where can they find you on the internet you can find me on twitter at josh underscore williams 09 and you can find me at next best picture thank you so much everyone for listening to our review of baby driver on the next best picture podcast you can subscribe to us on itunes soundcloud TuneIn, google play stitcher and player fm be sure to leave us a review on itunes while you're at it we would really really much appreciate that and we will see you all next time This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, 
We've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis. Punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz. And up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music. And I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday.